Hello and welcome to Uppercut Spoiler Cast on the very contentious mushroom game one, The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, my name is Ty, and joining me for this lovely spoiler cast, also from Uppercut, is Kayla. Hi, hello, it's me. <laughs> uh, and also joining us, he is in fact the internet. Uh, editor-at-large at Irrational Passions and freelancer at various unsundry other places. Our good friend Jarrett Green. So this is the Mushroom Game. Is this the one about Ayn Rand in the, on the ocean? And would you kindly, or is this a different one? That's a different one. <laughs> a different oh, this one. is a different best game ever. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I know it gets confusing because there's like it's a lot of them, but... There's just so many. Yeah. No, this is that. this is like the newest one. This oh, is a visceral word. one that takes you to lush environments and uh, <laughs> to, to tropic locales and and an immersive uh, gameplay filled experience. Just a, just a mixed bag of emotions. Uh, you're also hearing the voice of the lovely Natalie Flores from Fanbite. Yes, hello, hello. She's back again for I'm more spoiling. Back. <laughs> hello demons you thought you'd seen the last of me no it's hey demons thought you'd see the last of me okay anyway Elia's my wife alright game spoiled we're off to a strong start here I, I can't believe I spoiled the ending but it is a spoiler cast so the ending where she marries Natalie Flores oh my god Neil Druckmann just wrote that in last second <laughs> I mean, I, I have Dina's features, so, I mean, we're just one step away from it. Okay. Make it, it happen. Okay. <laughs> that, that Dina, I'll she didn't understand sure me. Natalie, though. She yeah. gets me. She left Dina for me, I'm just saying, y'all. <laughs> no, I can't even joke about that. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, so... We never, like, nail down a formula for these, because we don't do them that often. But do we want to, like, talk about the plot and kind of, like, break it down as we go? Or, like, what? how, how do y'all want to talk about this? Well, um. <clears throat> maybe start with, like, a general, like, heat check. What's the What does the room feel about the Mushroom Game? Mm, fair. Vibe check. Um, <laughs> but... So Nat and I both wrote reviews of it, and I think our yes. reviews are like deeply polar opposite. Polar opposites, yeah. Ties uh, is that bloody disgusting, and it is a great review, but it is, I would say, quite negative uh, for valid reasons. And mine is a rep paste magazine, and it is quite positive. For, it's also quite good. Yeah, thank you. So uh, yeah, we're basically on. The- polar ends maybe of opinions yeah my yeah. like my basic like if i had to like sum up my feelings on it or it's like like i didn't like it overall but it had moments that i found extremely interesting and it has like overall themes that i find intriguing but like as like a whole thing i largely did not enjoy it and have like a lot of criticisms of it i also like want to butt in for ty really quick and just say that uh the Things that you don't like about it, I feel like are wildly different from like the gamer audience that are like whining about it, you know? So mm-hmm. like this is actual criticism. Oh yeah. I don't hate it because like it's about women. 
<laughs> wait, it is. Hold on. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like I, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a sad gamer baby about it. I just think like it has a lot of. Because you're, like, a professional critic, right? Like, this is, like, the (laughs) shit that you do and that people expect of you, so. Yeah. Damn, it be like that. Except for the men in my mentions who think I have a problem with violence when I literally did not say that. When you're, when you play Bayonetta, like, live on stream and literally murder everything that comes into her path. Yeah. I, whatever. We could definitely talk about the violence. In a bit. Like, well, it was also just like, ugh, there were so many dudes in my mentions who were like, ugh, like, I don't understand why you think the violence is too graphic, or like, I don't understand you, like, why you had a problem with the violence. And I'm like, nowhere in my review did I say I had a problem with it. I said people got upset because there weren't content warnings for that fucking reveal trailer, which was true. And I linked to that. <laughs> um, and I also said that because it's a fucking review i was like hey if you don't like super graphic violence you're gonna have a bad time i didn't say i didn't like it i just said it's more graphic than the previous one mm-hmm. that's just like a true statement what so. about kayla and Jarrett? what's y'all's temperature on the game i have come to like this game i don't think it's without really like important and really valuable reflection i think you know i don't i think video games shouldn't leave you with the only feeling you're gonna have about it when you beat it right like the the idea that you can kind of take something and mull it over for a while and kind of like evolve your feelings as you i don't know talk to other people or consume other media or whatever um in the course of the week i felt like i left that game very much not impressed with what i saw and then kind of took it all like rethought it thought about it and contextualize it and kind of place it against other experience i've had and other things i've read and watched and whatever and it makes more sense then but it's still there's still a lot of things i can't get over that i don't like and i think that i've come to a point where i like the the game as a as a whole but like can completely understand and, and in a lot of ways agree with a lot of the pretty intense criticism with with kind of just Mm -hmm. like design choices or even a lot of the the writing and the sort of the plot decisions that kind of continue to vex me like i think that i can still walk away from a game liking it in the face of all that is kind of like a testament to the to the work even if you know maybe too many people have decided to canonize and and sort of almost too effusively sing the praises of something that is doing what it can but like maybe not good enough um i loved it i loved almost everything about it yeah it was a really great experience for me i also really liked the last of us but i think for different reasons than most people do because Mm. the criticism that i'm finding with this game from a lot of people is like but joel (laughs) and like (laughs) I was like, Joel was always the bad guy to me. Uh, and I guess we can talk more about that later, about what exactly a bad guy is during a post-apocalyptic world. Um, but yeah, I loved it. And there were some pacing issues, but for the most part, I'm still 
really happy with the way they told the story and the, like how they did it through the pacing. But yeah, it's a game. It's a game and a half. <laughs> is so, what I will say. I guess. So has everybody played the first? Yes. Okay. And I, I did not like it. There are some people who hadn't even touched the first before they got to the second. That's so oh. wild to me. Yeah, like, that doesn't make sense. Like they feel radic- like radically different games, which I mean, granted, considering the time difference between them, like they should. Um, but I can't imagine like giving a shit about this game at all if you hadn't played the first one. They're so intrinsically tied. They just paint this much larger picture. Even if you didn't like the first one, like I did, because I didn't really care for it. But it's so integral to understanding this one and the emotional weight behind. I mean, just the first two hours is really major, so that's wild. I haven't heard of people doing that, and I wonder how that experience is like. I know Nat seriously didn't like it, um, the first one. Um, And I know Kayla just said that she really liked it. Um, I thought it was fine. Um, Like, I enjoyed my time playing it. I also was a little bit more of a triple-A bitch back when I played it because I was trying to catch up. Because that was, like, when I was literally, like, I had played Bioshock, like, a month previous. Um, so. Oh, you were dipping, dipping. Yeah, I was just, I was, you know, catching up on 10 years worth of gamer shit. <laughs> now, I remember liking the first one. Um, I remember maybe, even, I think, even then, kind of shying away from, like, the the greatest of all time sort of conversations that we're having around it. Because I feel like, mm-hmm. um... In 2013, I think I I had personally been coming to like a sort of conclusion that maybe what we consider good is actually just games attempting to be to do what other things do well, but just not as well. And I feel like The Last of Us was like maybe one of the first times I kind of saw that and like myself without having to like read a think piece or whatever. Um, so I liked it, mm-hmm. and I I remember really thinking that this could be the beginning of something. Not just as a, it's its own series, but like a way that people tell their AAA stories from now on. That I remember playing it, you know, I want to say two or three years ago, and then like not being very impressed by it. And then wondering how I was so impressed by it in 2013. <laughs> um. For me, I thought it was a fine enough game. It just represented so much of what I already didn't like, which was video games about white scruffy dads and focusing on their pain and their struggles and um their character arcs and i just felt like uh, it was so it was a conversation about like the conversations going on about how it was like the greatest game of all time i i thought they were so over glorified and it was frustrating to see mostly white men carrying those conversations and trying to paint it as the most important game ever um because i didn't feel like it did much new i i think it did everything it set out to do well but i don't think it did anything particularly new um and on the opposite end of kayla i didn't care for joel so but i was affected by his death in this game um but only because it was through the lens of Ellie, I feel. Um, so I think that's why the first game didn't work for me, uh, which it's kind of curious as to how this the second game and the way that it handles Joel's character worked really well for me by the end. Um, but like I said, I think that it's because of 
how we see him through Ali's lens, which is accounting for, like Kayla said, the fact that he is, quote-unquote, the bad guy, but he is also this incredibly important father figure to Ali and um, someone who did something very human that a lot of us would probably do at the end. Um, So, yeah, he's just a complex figure, and I look forward to talking about him. I feel like the first game is also very honest about him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, the idea that everyone walked away, not everyone, but a lot of people walked away from The Last of Us thinking he was the good guy, quote-unquote, is, like, absolutely the wrong take. And I Mm -hmm. don't think that the game itself ever signals that he's the good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think at most the game says, like, you might do the same. Like, I think that's the most, like, credit they're willing to give Joel. And I don't think they do much work making anyone seem very good. Um, and I think in some ways they almost do too much work making, letting you know that they're bad. Um, and in, with Joel's, in Joel's case, you're not doing anything. You, you pick up Joel after he's done pretty bad things. You're not convinced that he couldn't continue to do bad things if necessary, but you're not doing, you're not being like a, a raider. You just need to take this girl from one place, some part of the country to the other. Um, and you are, you inherit all of these skills he's developed from being a piece of shit uh, and use them, you know, for quote unquote, a noble cause. At no point do you believe that he couldn't tomorrow go back to this. And I think the perspective that they give you saying where you are looking, you are, you're a laser focused on the same goal he is. So you don't worry about the other stuff. Um, it does a really interesting sort of sleight of hand where it kind of pushes and pulls goodness and badness in people to try to elicit or sort of manipulate you into believing goodness and badness, even though at the same time it's telling everyone's bad. So like, and I think that's an important dynamic that plays out in two in such a radically different way. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe part of my problem with how like the plot is jumbled in the middle because it does a lot of work again to remind you that everyone is capable of doing shitty things and it doesn't you don't have to be divine or like hell hell sent to be a person who can do these bad things or good things you are kind of a person uh, forged by your situation but the way the the game makes you act on particular things manipulates how you see these people if you were watching this as a movie and weren't and weren't forced to walk through doors and forced to shoot people and forced to sort of hold people up and 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 be an active agent in these situations you'd probably look at all these characters differently um if there was like a really magical thing in the last of us that i think still mostly works in the last of us 2 it centers around being an active participant in things that you would normally look back and just kind of like let wash over you. That's the difference between this and the road, right? Like you can read the road mm-hmm. or watch the road and the father, you watch him do things that you, you're allowed to be sort of like morally, I, I guess give him a pass because you're not actively involved in it. But when you have to actually do it, it feels different. 
and like that's how they tricked you and that's how they can trick a bunch of people in believing Joel's a good guy I think by never making him do things that are like too too bad or things you wouldn't like understand mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the trick of this game and I think it gets I think it is far more successful in the second game but only with the context of the first is like mm-hmm. it's really really good at being like well this is justified right it does such a good job of showing you the slippery slope that people have slid down and like that they still believe. And I think Abby is like the best example of that because you watch her kind of like see it um, in real time in the game. But like two, the thing I think that was interesting about the first game with Joel was that like, as opposed to like Kratos or like Booker DeWitt, Joel doesn't start out as a shithead dad. Like he is a single dad who, like, clearly really loves his daughter, and then he goes through, like, truly the worst fucking trauma, like, losing her. And so I feel like that, like, just, like, that tiny little shift for me was enough to be, like, I actually give a shit about this dude a lot more than, like, a Kratos or a Booker DeWitt. Mm. Um, Just because, like, yeah, like, he doesn't start, like, an asshole. Like, he loses everything and becomes an asshole in a shit world, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I can see that. Um, yeah that's it's much more interesting to just compelling as a character and easier to empathize with him if mm -hmm. you see before everything happened just the fact that he was a good dad and he was a caring person and he was this totally different human being um but circumstances affect all of us and it's not as compelling when you just have like a gruffy asshole toxic dad it's like well why are you being toxic like yeah well because when... that's the thing right like when they do the reveal with booker it's like why the fuck do this man sold his daughter like yeah. i don't want to like i don't this dude fucking sucks he doesn't deserve <laughs> to have elizabeth like him or care about him whereas like with this it's like okay like yeah i can see why joel would be like okay with kind of just saying fuck it and being a shithead but i can also see why ellie would be like a soft spot for him because it's not toxicity out of being an asshole it's toxicity out of wanting to protect himself from the pain of possibly losing a daughter again yeah and well and also just like get attached i feel like too like in in this world with this like new world order or whatever like yeah, after you've lost everything it's probably easy to just be like yeah fuck it like i'll be a smuggler yeah. or whatever exactly. um but also but... we keep talking about like circumstances and stuff and obviously with the circumstances of like the post-apocalyptic world the theme that i kept just thinking of the entire game was like oh, everybody's a bad guy. But then I would be like, well, these people are good, though. Like, they, they have morals, but, like, then they have to betray their morals for these situations. And I think the whole point of that is, like, I don't think there needs to be good guys and bad guys in this game because they're all just humans trying to survive in their own ways. But, like, yeah. in the same way, they're telling a specific story about, like, pain in this game. So yeah. I think... Because I had talked to somebody originally saying how, like, how how could you, like, sympathize with, with Abby because of Joel and everything that happened? And I was like, because it wasn't hard to. Like, they didn't yeah, make it yeah. hard. Like, hey, no. this is a game about pain and, like, the things that people do for their loved ones and when they grieve and... I don't know. We when we talk about Joel again and his daughter in the in the beginning, 
I think that's just like an echoed statement that like continuously happens is I don't think that there is good guys and bad guys. I think these are all just characters and humans dealings mm-hmm. and living the best way that they can. Well, the closest that the game gets to portraying a bad group of people or person, I think, is the Seraphites because they aren't humanized to the extent that the WLF members are. But even then, there is there's a bit of an attempt there, and there there's a link between Lev and Yara, who are two of the game's standout characters, and the faith that drives them and the Seraphites, and it makes a distinction between the Seraphites, the religion, and how they actually carry out that religion and philosophy versus what it actually inherently stands for. Um, so, yeah, Kayla touched on a really interesting point because there are a lot of people that I've seen that are like, well, why doesn't Ellie sort of interrogate her violence? Like, Or why does she even do it at all? Why doesn't she just stay back at Jackson and mourn her father uh with dina with her new girlfriend and you know mourn it like a normal ordinary person and it's like well ellie first of all she's grown up in this specifically broken world and second of all so much of what she learned from joel is violence like it violence isn't just violence in this world it's survival it's um you know it's being able to live to see another day it's what you need to do sometimes in order to survive so the way that Ellie sees violence, I think, is very different from what a normal person in our world does. So it's something that I see a lot of people judge her for. And like Kayla says, I think the game is smart enough to not try to act like it knows or try to... I don't think it tries to act like there's even a group of good guys and bad guys. I think it's smart enough to just say, like, no, these are just people who live in a very bastardized world and sometimes enact bastardized actions and um a lot of it just comes from love and pain and heartbreak rather than i think revenge and hatred and malice um because that's why it's ultimately so easy to understand abby because she's not a hateful person she's just a person who lost the most precious person to her and she wants to seek revenge for that, and Ellie is the same. And so. see, I think that the game actually does have a pretty clear thesis that Ellie, by the end, Ellie is the bad guy. And I think, like, it's that exact point, because a lot of people draw the parallel between, like, oh, they both lost their father figure. But Abby didn't just lose her father figure. Abby lost the cure. Like, Abby lost the thing that she and all of the Fireflies were working for. So, like, on top of her dad being dead, there is no hope for any of the work that she's been doing her whole life. And, like, and also, like, for humanity. That is such a bigger blow. You know what I mean? Abby has, like, so much more invested in this situation. And so, like, at least to me, Ellie's motivations feel childish and shallow and i think that's not me like saying the writing is bad i think ellie is meant to be childish and shallow um because she was a child growing up in a world with like a fucking stunted emotionally man fighting zombies um also she's like 19 in this so she's still a kid basically Mm -hmm. um but like I think by the end, especially, like, what when Abby is, like, done, when Abby keeps just being, like, 
I'm not gonna fight you, I'm not gonna fight you, I'm not gonna fight you. Like, I think that is the point where, like, when Ellie's trying to fucking drown her, and then, I mean, obviously she stops, but, like, that's the moment of, like, Ellie's not the good guy anymore. Like, Ellie's not even justified anymore. But she stops because of Joel, and if... It's interesting because this conversation ties in directly with the themes of the first game's ending and Joel himself, because it's like, well, what do you define as most important? The the many or the person that is most important to you? And the whole thing with Joel and Ellie is that she keeps insisting that she wanted her life to matter and that he took that choice away from her. But her life does matter, and she, it it matters to him and that was enough for him to feel like he was he was justified in doing what he did and so i think it goes back to that question of like saying life is strange at the end of that game or something like would you sacrifice the town or would you sacrifice the the person most important to you and i think everyone's answer is different because i feel like i would do the same thing joel did in all honesty, um, but I think yeah. no. I yeah. mean, like I think I think Joel to me is morally ambiguous. Oh, absolutely. He and Ellie, he is meant to be. Ellie is morally ambiguous, but like I think for a lot of the game, she is not the good guy. Like I think, like I think the game blatantly says, like in the text, Ellie is not like you're here with her because we're making you, but like that doesn't mean you're supposed to be like cheering for her but i will say there i wouldn't say yeah like i I wouldn't say she is also painted as a bad guy either which is i suspect is what maybe kayla was going to touch on like it doesn't portray her as good but it doesn't portray her as bad either just someone with a lot of pain there are moments though in the game where you see ellie like pulling back you see her like clearly she's wanting revenge and she wants to do this thing and she's on this mission but there are many moments where things happen and you just see the like question on her face of like why am I supposed to be doing this like why am I doing this should I do this and especially like when you get to the end scene when she's in the farmhouse and like you can tell that like she doesn't want to go like she doesn't want to do this she wants to put it away and then something Mm -hmm. flips because she just has to finish it I just feel like Ellie Ellie is a bad person, but also, like, there is good in her. She's just questioning that, and it's just something that I think Joel passed on to her that, like, she can't let go of of, of the revenge. She can't let it go, which sucks. But I do yeah. think there are many I- moments. Like, the, the time when, when, she, when she kills Mel, right, and notices that Mel is pregnant, mm-hmm. this whole, she goes through this whole string of emotions and, like, what the fuck did I just do? And like has like panics about it because she realizes like this, this path that she's gone down. Um, So I do think that she is, she knows what she's doing for sure. I don't know. I feel like there's this thing of, is she a bad guy or is it just like the, the pain and the way that she deals with revenge and the way that she's dealing with her grief or is it both? It can be both, you know? I think 
I'm trying to figure out how to say this right. Like, I think there are multiple points where the game is, like, showing you that, like, the people around Ellie who are agreeing to help her with this are even getting tired of it and are, like, done with it. And so I guess that's what I mean by, like, the bad guy or, like, the villain. Like, not necessarily that the the game is, like, saying Ellie is bad, but, like, Ellie is the antagonist because, like, there gets to the point where, like, when Jesse shows up and he, like, they split up, like, five minutes after he shows up because Ellie's insisting on being a head-ass. And then fucking when, like, they get back with Tommy and, like, he finds out about Dina and everything, even Tommy's like, we have to go back. And, like, you can tell Ellie is, like, so unhappy about having to go back and it's like even fucking tommy is saying this dude like you need to chill and like the game makes that very palpable uh an antagonist i think is a good way to say it like i I don't know that you have to frame it as good or bad but i think it's very clear that you're not mm -hmm. supposed to like what's happening to ellie she is clearly sliding down something she's she's losing control like you see it at first when she beats uh, Nora to death for the information. Mm-hmm. Um, once Nora recognizes she's not going to be, you know, uh, infected by the spores, and she's gonna either the rest of her life is going to be getting beaten by this little girl, and then turning into a zombie and killed probably. And you see her on her walk back like she's not okay with what she did, but she did it. And when given any opportunity to make the choice again, she makes it. Not only does she make it, she makes it probably more instinctually like and, she keeps making it is the thing and abby even says it multiple times to her like she lets abby lets her live twice and she continues to waste these opportunities and not that you know she should be grateful for abby to give her the opportunity to live after literally making her watch uh her beat her father figure to death but there has to be a a, a point of ref- like a self-reflection if if you are a person who he was being formed by this world to live as as a survival instinct. Your survival instinct is a reflex now. There has to be something that tells you that continuing to put yourself in this situation uh, and your friends, your loved ones in this situation is not the right move. You're doing something that's hurting not just yourself but other people. Um, and I think when people want her to reflect on that, I think that's they're waiting for this moment where she has that sort of reconciliation with herself that she's doing something wrong and i think she doesn't have she has that in my opinion way too late um like the entire last end of that game she she leaves her idyllic farm with the life that she never thought she could even have or anyone could thought that you can even have in the year 20 i don't know 38 or whatever uh to go to california and do it all over again um like that is an extreme decision, and, and I feel like there's there are plenty of decisions that happen in the course of that game that Ellie does that I don't like, but I kind of get it. She still needs to get this revenge, but it seemed very over in that movie theater, mm-hmm. and that it isn't. It's over for everybody else but Tommy and her. But I I just don't. It it that was the turning point. For, it, 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 you can you can answer for, or you can understand her to a point, and I can't understand her after that. And I think that's where this sort of like is she the bad guy conversation starts for me. Mm-hmm. Um, or like if there was a bad guy, is that what one looks like? 
someone who doesn't really care what kind of void that follows them and what kind of things they leave and, and, and relationships they break to get this one narrow understanding of what, you know, a piece is. And, and you know, and even part of me still thinks that's not fair to, to her because she's clearly suffering. Um, like her PTSD is incredible at this point. Um, but on the other hand, so is Dina's. Like Dina didn't live the same exact life as her, but she lived a pretty shitty life as well. Um, she's also lost people. This idea that Dina doesn't even really have get to have a great conversation with Ellie about that before she leaves feels like disingenuous to Dina. Like, like for most for the beginning of that game, she's out there experiencing the same terrible things that Ellie is, and you can assume she's experienced plenty of terrible things outside of it. Like where. I mean, she talks about it. Her sister was, like, murdered. Right. Yeah, she like, said the first time she killed somebody was when she was 10 years old. Like, Yeah, they, they, they literally compare, like, body counts, like, early in the game. Like, mm-hmm. they have lived, they have both lived terrible lives, and they, they're supposed to, like, as, I guess, part of the commitment to each other is, like, to try to overcome that together. And that Ellie complete, and, and I guess, you know, leaving and, and when Ellie comes back, not being there is her taking agency as part of it. But, like, the fact that there is... I feel like there's no like the game for a game that takes so long to do what it wants to do. I feel like it takes no time at all or gives no time to any, any real conversation there where someone directly confronts her about mm-hmm. this Ellie that she's become. I feel like if I had to find something that was missing for me, it's that like I've come to, I've come this far 20 hours in like Ellie's out here. She's, she's out here and no one's reeling her in and you can't maybe, but someone needs to ask her to like please like let's let's talk about it like you're not you're going through this thing it's it's your experience but i have all these experiences can't we live for each other i think dina tries to a little bit though and the gentle motherly sort of ways that she always tries to redirect ali's energy like when they go to the tv station and ellie first sees abby's picture dina is very gentle about grabbing the photo and just reminding her like okay so we've killed three of them right so we still have to get to her and early on when they're traveling around seattle um there is one dialogue where um ellie when they get to Seravina hotel and ellie is like like fuck if the zombies of the clickers already got to these people then that's gonna suck because I'm the one who was supposed to kill them. And Dina's like, well, they'd still be dead anyway, right? Uh, and Ellie's like, well, yeah, but it's not justice. Um, so I think, I think, in terms of the position that Dina is in and how compassionate she is and how understanding she is of Ellie's pain, I don't know if, like, it's hard to say whether someone in her position would try to stop Ellie because it just feels it feels so justified up to a certain point like Dina also saw Joel's body she saw Ellie get beat up by the WLF members um she's the one who found Ellie in the first place so uh yeah I don't know I I think I was missing I I really was missing that conversation in the farmhouse I feel like I feel like I wanted a real conversation between them about it. Um, I just like, I think that you're both right. Like, I think I love Ellie and Dina's relationship. I just, it's like, they didn't give it enough time. 
which sucks because like a lot of the relationships in this game are really good and like interesting but they get like five minutes as opposed to like you know like they don't they just don't get enough time to develop and it's really frustrating i think tina and ellie get a lot of time to to develop i just think most of it happens before the game actually happens like it's not i just think that the timing on it is stupid honestly like the whole like it feels like they did the Jesse breakup a week prior to the beginning of the game just so they could have an excuse for Dina to be pregnant and not realize up, yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And then have, like, that bullshit. Because, like, I know, like, her pregnancy was supposed to, like, mirror Mel's because this game loves to be fucking having them mirror each other. But, like, I just did not think that the Dina's pregnancy arc added anything to it other than, like, JJ at the end. Um, So... Okay. I think what it, what it does, what I wish, and I think, I think Dina, you you get a lot of the relationship. Um, a when you're when she's part of like your you know group when she's out there being like the the number two, um, and every time you come back to the theater and sort of reconvene, but I and and up and when you get to the farmhouse, you're you're assuming that like some time has passed and they've been able to just kind of live with these live with each other and develop a relationship that is free from all of the rest of that um you don't have to live in hiding you, you know we have time to make art and and listen to music and and enjoy it um to have favorite songs and and to to carve our names in this tree um but it feels like to me if Dina, who is a compa- who who is being compassionate in the way that keeping keeping Ellie on target because she can't talk her out of vengeance, and at that point, mm. Dina wasn't interested in talking her out of vengeance. She wanted her yeah. to get her revenge, yeah, um, but wanted her to keep her focus because she saw what we were all seeing as a player that like Ellie is losing control, yeah. Um, but there has to be a point where you stop being soft about this. Like you can't softball this anymore. She's leaving. She's going to get herself killed, and she's going to a. I mean. A, you're losing the love of your life, but B, she's leaving you to take care of all of this by yourself because she, this still isn't over for her. No matter, like, regardless of the danger she put herself in, danger that Dina herself was in because of Ellie's uh, recklessness, like, she is willing to do that in a heartbeat, it seems. And Dina doesn't have words she has all this energy for tommy who comes over to, and plants the seed to begin with but I, I wish there was some of that energy for ellie because she needed that from dina maybe anybody else it's whatever but like i feel like there's a conversation that would have happened that they would have that they would have had that, that mm-hmm. maybe would have saved that relationship if she was just a little bit like more assertive there i think it was dina understanding Ellie to the point that she does like when Ellie when she's touching Ellie's face and Ellie just grabs her wrists like she immediately knows that she can't talk her out of it and I think a lot of a lot of that understanding is unsaid and whether that is better you know going unsaid or if the text should have made it like explicitly more clear and like from subtext to actual text um I think that is like a point of opinion but that's how I saw the scene and I didn't see I didn't see it as Ellie doing it sort of 
at the drop of a hat. I think she really wrestled with it, and I think ultimately, I didn't see it as Ellie deciding that revenge was more important than Dina. I think for me, it was like she said. She said, uh, "I don't sleep. I don't eat. Like there, it is clearly for me like this person who is." so affected by their PTSD that if she she knows that if she wants to live a life with Dina and JJ and be a good mother and be a good wife slash girlfriend she needs to take care of this thing because it's eating her alive and she can't she legitimately can't function as a person um and I think that I I I think I understood her even if Mm -hmm. I was angry about it like I I understand like it's like I know a lot of people who think that being in a relationship will fix their mental health issues and while I think that's an understandable sort of you know it's understandable why some people might think it especially with how the media portrays romantic relationships in our society as being more important than other forms of love um it's proof that no like being in a relationship and no matter how close you are with another person or how much they understand you that thing about Joel was explicitly between Ellie and Joel. Dina could empathize with it, but she could never truly understand. And the game also doesn't let you know if Ellie told Dina the truth about what Joel did and the agency that he took from her and how that complicated their relationship. Um, so for me, it was proof that like you could be with the most wonderful person in the world, but we all have our own individual things and those people, they can't take care of those things for us. And sometimes there are things that we really need to do for ourselves that we can't, um, we can't just let go of. Um, and for Ellie, that was just something she would never be able to let go of unless she took care of it however she needed to. And for her, that was unfortunately leaving. That was really beautiful, Natalie. <laughs> I see because like my thing is like I don't disagree with you Nat like I think your reading is exactly correct but I think that your reading is correct because you're willing to like read more into the text than what's like there there yeah probably yeah maybe but just because like and I don't like I don't mean that in a shitty way but no, just no, no, like no, no. um I can totally see that characterization but like it's not in the game do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. Because you spend so much time walking and killing people in the same fucking way over and over again, like, you don't get, like, Dina and Ellie's relationship canonically in the time frame of the game, like, they are telling each other that they love each other and, like, all that shit within, like, a couple weeks. Like, but they've been best friends. Since well, yeah, Ellie and like, and like we know that, Ellie, and we know that Ellie had a crush on her for like a while because of the journal or whatever. But it's just like yeah. they had they they had the entirety of that time to like establish that they were like together, you know, or that they liked each other, or like you know what I mean. Like they just and that's like mm-hmm. every relationship in this game because even the Joel stuff. Every, like, scene that they had together that was really cute, it was really cute. I was, like, touched in the moments. But the more I've thought about it and the more I've listened to y'all talk, the more, like, those moments are only there to be, like, oh, look how cute their relationship was. Like, that's all those moments do. They don't, like, there are, there are other parts where, like, yes, you see the part where they fought and, like, where you find out that she knew the whole time, um... That that's why Abby killed him. 
Um, like, those parts are good, but, like, so much of the really long characterization stuff with Joel is just, like, the really fucking sugary shit to, like, be like, look at how much Ellie loved him. And, like, I wish that they had focused more on the fact that, like, she's clearly so driven to do this because of the guilt she felt because she and Joel were not on good terms when he died. Um, and they do show that, but I think they focus so much more on the, like, look what a sweet, happy, like, father-daughter relationship they had. And, like, I would have much rather, like, seen, like, Ellie feeling that guilt more blatantly. And also, it was weird to me that she didn't start, like, showing the PTSD, like, flashbacks and shit until, like, the very end. Because I think that would have been helpful, like, if we knew, like, oh, she's so driven to do this because she feels so guilty and also she's, like, having these horrible flashbacks and shit and she thinks this would be a solution. I think, like, with you talking about how maybe, like, we're reading too much into the script that's not actually given to us, that's Mm -hmm. how I take this situation that you're talking about because, Mm -hmm. um, for me, when you think it's been, like, I'm assuming from the last day of Seattle and the farmhouse, it's been about a year because... Dina was barely pregnant and then she has this baby who is not yeah. who's what like four months old or something at this point yeah definitely a full-on baby yeah so to me in the way that I take the like PTSD and you know like I'm not an expert of this like this you know context and um, everybody has their own PTSD and grieves in certain ways but the way that I saw it was that Ellie had this three-day journey or however long including the the how to get there with a horse uh but this three day in seattle Mm -hmm. to finish the job knew what she wanted to do knew that she wanted to finish it and then got to day three and lost and didn't get to finish it and like had everyone around her jesse died i thought tommy died but he didn't die (laughs) uh and then his legs are just real fucked up yeah and yeah and then dina almost died until you know lev is basically like no like don't do this put it down and abby walks away again and I think that probably is what kicked off those episodes for her because she had she had this plan put put together. She was going to go kill Abby and all of her friends and everybody who took place in Joel and she couldn't do it. She she had it. She lost. She couldn't do it. So I think that's probably what was haunting her was the fact that she couldn't do it. And then mm-hmm. finally, Tommy comes back with the opportunity for her to do it and i'm sure those feelings just kind of yeah doubled I down mean, i get like why i i liked the resurgence in this scene don't get me wrong i just like and again i can only base it off my experience but like my experience with ptsd was like a lot more immediate so it was very weird to me that we didn't see it until like a lot later on especially because i feel like it would have done a lot to help show like why she's so motivated to do this i think part of the problem too is it also it's it's ptsd that's also being an analog for pride like you said she had this plan she was willing to do literally whatever it took to get the plan including things she didn't think she was capable of then she lost anyway and now she's out here we see her more or less enjoying life she has this episode. We know that it's one of many episodes she's had. If you read the the her, she's keeping a diary of it, um, with vague descriptions of like how these things are happening. Then Tommy comes, and now, yes, part of it is 
this is the only answer that she has. Like she she doesn't know how she's going to get this out of her head, but this is how it's going. This is, this is what she thinks will work. But it takes an incredibly prideful person to believe that like a thing you've tried to do twice now that failed dur- like dramatically, disastrously, could probably work this time if you just do it yourself a year or two later. Um, I think that's if if you had to read into someone as like making bad choices and being antagonistic and hard to like, I think that's maybe where I got that. Um, and I, I, I know that I, and I, I, I saw it as like, she can, she cannot produce a better answer. She just has to go do this. But mm-hmm. in more reflection, it's like, she didn't have to go like she did to her, but like, that's an act of pride, not an act of desperation, in my opinion. Or maybe they're both, I guess. And and I guess that's where you can't, you know, just label her as evil or or bad. Yeah. But this is a terrible decision that I don't agree with at all. And and then me playing the decision is a bad time for me. Yeah. Um, I think um, I, oh, talking ahead, about, Kayla. sorry, talking about like pride and stuff. And I totally see that when we talk about like the selfishness that happens there and everything the way that I interpreted that scene was less of less of being selfish. Like obviously the decision was selfish and everything, but I took it more of like it had to happen. Like like Ellie knew what she was leaving behind and it was kind of like she could go out here and die and like as long as she tried. Like she was on this path of like, if it kills me, it kills me. I need to do this. Um, I mean, so I think I think that's selfish, though. She, I think is. she also almost wished it did kill it her. Isn't. What, Nat? That the game doesn't pretend it isn't selfish. I yeah. yeah. No, I just, like, like, I just, like, I think Abby and Ellie are both selfish. It's just Abby's selfishness ends up helping her move in a positive direction, and Ellie's is very destructive. Because yes. Ellie uh, and her are, are in different, they're on the same journey, but at very different points, right? Like, so Abby is at the point where Ellie wants to go to, like, when Ellie goes to Seattle, the point that she wants to get to is the point that Abby starts the game off with. Like, she starts by avenging her dead father, and she is able to then focus on moving on and redefining herself and redefining her life and what her life looks like outside of let me avenge my father. Um while Ellie is on the same journey, but she is at the very start. Like she is she's back where Abby where Abby was four or three years earlier. And so they're on the same journey, but they're at very different points, I would say. So I guess for me it's difficult to sort of to like to be like, oh like Ellie, you shouldn't be doing this exactly because it because Abby is able to get what Ellie wants from the beginning of the story. They're just at very different points in their whole character arc of avenging their dead fathers. And I also think it's a different scale, though. Because, like, mm-hmm. again, Abby's not just avenging her dead father. She's also avenging all of humanity. Do you think she cares about humanity? Though? I do. Like, well, with I don't know if she cares about humanity, but I, I, she I definitely cares so. about cares, the fireflies. I think she cares about the fireflies. Like, she, I think she's very clearly someone who like likes having like a group mm. that she yeah. is inherently a part of, and I think she really believed in what the fireflies were doing. And yeah. I think like it's not hard to 
interpolate anger from you killed my dad to you killed the only man in the world who can do this. Um, This thing that I've been working towards for years and that literally, like, would, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, humanity is such a big thing. Like, do I think she cares about, like, the macrocosm of humanity? Like, no. But I think she cares about the idea of, like, the vaccine. Mm, um, got it. And it's so, so like, funny because I thought the the opposite. Uh, like, uh, Abby never once really, and I think this is ultimately on your individual interpretation, like, you, in this part, I think, is where you read uh, you give the text sort of more benefit than what yeah. it explicitly shows, and you're able to sort of read more into this uh, than I am, like I am with El- Ellie and Dina. But for me, it was explicitly that she cared about her father the most at the end of the day. Like, at, n- at no point for me do I remember her saying, like, oh, like, humanity's dead. Like, no, oh my god. There's, there's definitely some point where she talks about, like, how like she mentioned ah, i'd have to look again but she says she and owen are talking and at some point they both bring up the fact that like he thought they were doing something good yeah yeah i know what you're talking about they they definitely talk about how they they were on a path of like doing something good i think it's when they're talking about like wlf because yeah. he's he's basically like I don't give a fuck, and obviously she does because she's training. There, her whole life, basically after her father died, was to train to kill this one man. So she wants to go train every single day with these people. Um, and Owen's like, they don't have the same, like they don't have the same morals or the same value that we had with the fireflies. Like these, what are these people even doing? They're just here to like start a militia basically so he doesn't take it seriously at all um sorry i'm really excited that we're talking about abby because i was about to say like like 10 minutes ago i was like we've been talking about ellie for almost (laughs) no i love like minutes like i'm honestly spoiling like most of my video 24 7 piece but i fucking love abby i love abby such a good character i think what's important a thing that that gets abby through this too is she's like super she's like a family oriented person right like her issue again lost her father but she also really liked being a firefly like really identified with it and i think that's why bouncing back as a wlf worked with her because she can she has it family again the the i don't think it's an accident that the first you know 10-ish minutes we spend with her after like at the beginning of her story is her just walking through the wlf compound and meeting all her friends and like having these like very casual conversations about like what Manny did last night or whatever. Like I think that's an environment she loved being in. And it's super important when you see like she had that rip taken from her when yeah. the fireflies collapsed after Joel killed her father. And watching her basically dismantle that herself in her like ten hour journey is like a super important sort of like personal movement she's making. Like a person who gravitates to these things all the time, and even at the end was looking to gravitate back to it, like willingly had to take it down herself, like, and 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 in the name of you know maybe finally doing something that means something again, like that is a huge that's a way bigger 
and more important. And like that's the arc that I kind of always want to gravitate to with these like sort of dark sort of apocalyptic fictions. Like, yes, we all know like it's the baseline is that everything sucks. We get it. But like if everything sucks and everyone's just bad in it, then why the fuck does anyone why are we even care? Like what are we even doing? Yeah. Um Abby's arc is like the reason is the answer. What are we even doing here? Mm -hmm. And like I can I I definitely was like very resistant to her at the beginning because of when and where we we start playing her story. I think that's a very weird time to put that. Um Mm -hmm. but I think in retrospect, like she's she's such an that's such an important story and like and in my opinion such a better one that it almost feels like it was written first and then they were like oh shit we should probably write this game about ellie and and the other guy too um i have a kind of thought that i want to like pose onto y'all is when i think about the very ending of the game like uh the new game plus title screen right like you see that abby makes it to santa barbara you see the Catalina Islands, right? Like, you know that mm-hmm. she makes it. You know it's a happy ending. And, like, we have this whole parallel between Abby and Ellie the entire time of revenge and things like this. Um, but throughout the entire story, like, Abby got what she wanted. She got what she wanted. She did the thing that she trained for. She got what she wanted. And um, every time Ellie tried to get what she wanted... Abby won and Abby was like I'm like I'm done stop I'm done I got what I wanted I'm done do we really think that Ellie would have gotten a happy ending with JJ and Dina if she would have killed Abby because oh god no no okay and she she realizes it that's why she ultimately doesn't kill Abby because it's not going to bring Joel back and it's not going to bring Dina or JJ back yeah, and Dina, I mean, Dina tells her in that scene when she's leaving, I can't remember what exactly she says, but she says, like, I can't do this again. And Ellie says, like, well, that's going to have to be your choice. And, like, when she comes back to the empty house, like, we know she chose, like, so, like, as soon as Ellie left, that ship's fucking sailed, like, uh, as far as, like, because, right, like, in my mind, if Dina was, like, and had any doubt, she would have stayed, but she right. didn't. Yeah, there's just, like, so many parallels between these two women's stories um, with their grief and their revenge and their journeys. But I think Abby's was always meant to be not a positive story. I don't think any of these stories are positive. But, like, seeing Mm -hmm. that her and Lev make it and Abby is going to reunite with the Fireflies, like, really just, like, made my heart very happy. Um, Even though... Ellie didn't get a happy ending and what made it even worse <laughs> is that like you're gonna go play the guitar and she's an artistic person and she can't even do that anymore you know like it's yeah. just ugh, so much punch. I think it's like I think it shows though like I do think it's very much like like how yourself like I jokingly on private said that Abby had Anakin Skywalker energy um <laughs> and I stand by that though Except for the killing kids part, because, you know, she's actually, like, not terrible. But, like, it's... She has this really brutal authoritarian streak, right? Like, there's the scene where she and uh, Matt... I I think it's her, Manny, Owen, and Mel are talking, and they're talking about, like, the, like, kids from the Seraphites who they were, like, fine with murdering. Um... 
and Mel and Owen were both kind of like, that's uh, pretty fucked up. And Manny and Abby are like, nope, they're scars. Fuck them. We kill them. Like, that's just how it is. Um, and like, th- I can't remember what she says, but Abby has like a really, that's, really um, the, yeah, that's when they're exploring that warehouse, like mm-hmm. right after the Seraphites attack them when they go out on their like supply run or like their whatever. Mm-hmm. She's with Mel and Manny. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Mel is like, that's like really fucked up. And both of them are like, no. And like, I can't remember what Abby says, but Abby says something along the lines of like, you know, like their scars, <laughs> like we kill them. That's our order. Yeah. Like, Cause Mel's basically like, oh, so like just because the children like decide to, you know, retaliate, that means we're going to retaliate against the children. And Manny's basically like, like yeah, like they're seraphites, like yeah. fuck that. And Abby agrees with him, so yeah, I rem- I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and so Abby, like, and we see that because she clearly like has this need to be like in a structured group because it's like the fireflies, and like I don't. Mm-hmm. This might have been me reading too much again, but I feel like during some of the firefly flashbacks with Abby, she was wearing like fatigues and shit, so it's kind of implied that she was like part of the combat stuff then too. Um. But, like, she clearly needs this, like, structure and this, like, very rigid, like, rank-and-file kind of system. But the only thing that's more important to her than that is people. And, like, we see that when she goes after Owen, even though Isaac tells her not to. And then, again, with Lev, when she's like, fuck this, like, I'll kill WLF people for you. Like, I care about you. And I think that shows, like, because that's selfish. Like, Abby loves and cares about Lev out of selfishness because she wants to not feel guilty about how shitty she is mm-hmm. and like she like translates that into like actually becoming a better person because she knows that if she keeps being like this lev is not going to stay with her so she has to get better to fucking keep this kid that she cares about because like Jarrett said like having like this found family is the most important thing to her um whereas like ellie is just willing to pay any price for this one thing and that means like she's willing to give up those people and so i just like i don't think ellie's capable of having a happy ending because she's willing to literally do anything for this um up until the point where she stops but at that point charity kind of paid her price and maybe she's the kind of person that like you know kind of has to be alone until she can get it together like there are plenty of reckless people that way um it's just this is a weird and maybe not weird it's just kind of like a a strange place to have that kind of story and there's so many layers like so many layers that can determine that kind of behavior and it's difficult i don't know it's difficult for me to feel sort of like on board with taking part in the behavior i guess is my biggest problem and that's where like the game thing and the movie thing always seems to like really fuck up to me it's like when people are trying to make these movie-like experiences and tell these sort of these particular stories that people like i guess forget that you then also have to like be a protagonist in that story so like what motivates me as a person to want to see this and in, in a way that i want to you know push through and actually get there and like it's just once you start making like it, it was my same problem with kratos um especially in the early god of wars where it's like i i can't get down with this anymore dude like you got revenge on Ares because he's an asshole legitimately. Uh, then all the gods, when you're the god of war, show up and say, listen, I think you might have a problem. 
because we gave you what we told you were going to give you, but you're still, and not only are you not better, you're making it worse. And then he kills all of them. And then they kick him out and he climbs back up to kill the rest of them. And like, I just, I, I can't justify that kind of behavior. And it makes it very difficult for me to want to play and like be an active member and then make like the, the, the actual mechanical decisions to, to enable it. Like, it's just a, a really weird, I guess, crossover between like actually playing a game and watching a story. And I feel like I never had that problem with Abby. Like, and Abby is legitimate, like, is intense. Like, she's an intense authoritarian in the beginning. very intense. And, like, she turned herself into a war machine, basically, to get this vengeance. Like, and the person she is at, at, at the start of, of her particular group of, you know, chapters or whatever is, like, a lot. But I always felt like there was a carrot there pulling you into a direction where she's making these decisions she's making these choices after the vengeance thing because she's she is legitimately or at least she believes trying to do something good here um like you're never like on a mission to just go kill scars what you are doing is trying to find out why like uh, owen was missing and someone's saying that he went awol like owen's your best friend you had this like you know very complicated relationship but a loving one you want to make sure he's actually okay because you know that if isaac finds him it's going to be a bad time um do you have to you have to you know kill your way to him but you never participate in the like active sort of like kind of gross hunting of people that apparently the wf like willingly pursues um and I guess it's just a you know a presentation or like a, a just a, a lens thing, but I feel like the lens lends itself to Abby's sort of redemption way better than it lends itself to Ellie's like fall, or maybe it lends lends itself perfectly to Ellie's fall because by the end of it, I did I felt dirty being there. When we talked about you just mentioned um, Abby and Owen and that friendship, can we talk a little bit about like the parallels between? Abby and Owen and Dina and Ellie, because we talked a lot in the first half about like the selfish decisions of Ellie leaving Dina, making that choice. When I think there's a very direct parallel between Abby and Owen, and you keep hearing Abby throughout the game, you know, you want what I want. You want what I want, right? Because they originally started this journey together as a couple, but she, has this like need for revenge that kind of drives Owen away from her, which is really sad. Like to see this story kind of unfold um, with the flashbacks, like when you, and then even replaying the game and hearing the first time that he tells her that Mel's pregnant and just like knowing how she must feel, knowing that she, she made this selfish choice for herself to get through this, um, and she lost what could have been like a future with this person who she cares for, who wants the same things as her. Um, so I don't know if we want to talk about like their relationship at all. I, I really loved, I thought there was a lot of really sweet moments with Owen and Abby and I, I love Owen as a character as well. I think he was very much like Dina kind of being this very grounding person, um, for their partner. Yeah. I think. That point was really interesting, Kayla, because it's actually nice to see, like, Owen and Dina both share this, like, desire for domesticity, 
Um, and it's so much more obvious with Dina because of the pregnancy shit. But, like, and then, to the scene where she talks about wanting to have the little farm or whatever. But, like, Owen consistently shows, like, he wants kids. Um, like, there's the scene where he sees, um, when they first go to the aquarium and he sees that those kids went to go join the Seraphites. And Abby's like, you might have met them already. And he's like, oh, fuck, don't say that. Like, and he's, like, showing, like, how cute they are. And then he modifies, like, that mural, um to have his paintings but include like the little kids paintings still in it um and like turning the aquarium into a home for him and mel like it's so clear he wants this domesticity and it's clear he wants it with abby but like he also understands that she won't do it so like he has settled for mel because he wants that domesticity more than he wants abby like specifically um and it's kind of the same with dina but it comes down to, like, I'm not going to put myself and my child through this for you. Like, it's not, I'm not going to do it. And it's mm. just, it's interesting. Also, can I also mention that I don't like Mel. And the reason why I don't like Mel is stupid. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but there, when she somehow finds out about Owen and Abby, and I don't know how she finds out because, like, I don't know. She wasn't there. Maybe she was. They don't say how she finds out, but it's just weird because Owen, this is, this is a lot of drama here, but Owen still talks <laughs> to Abby right after this scene, like as if he wants to run away with her or something, you know? So it's not like he told her. I don't I know. Thought weird. That the impl- I thought that the implication was less that she knew for sure and more that she like kind of had a suspicion, but also like her bigger issue was more that she thinks that Abby is trying to use the kids to get to Owen. Um, oh, okay. That was I just, my read on this situation. That scene with Mel made me so upset because I was like, I liked Mel as a character because I felt like she was like kind of an outsider. Um, and mm-hmm. again, when y'all were mentioning how she was very much like, why would you do that to those kids? And they're like, oh, they're scars. Fuck them. You know, um, mm-hmm. I liked that part of her. But then there was this kind of like nasty mean girl tone where she was like, you should get like, you're a fucking horrible person. Get out of here. And I was like, sis, go talk to your boo. Like he did it too. Like he made that decision, you know? Yeah. Um, I think but, my reading yeah. of that at least was that it was less that she knew concretely that something had happened between them. And more that, like, it was the combination of, like, that tension always being there and then, like, her thinking that Abby was, like, using the kids, one in general, and two to get to Owen. So I think Owen does say, like, objectively, like, she knows about last night or whatever. Oh, does he? I don't think, I don't think he does. I think, like, in the boat, I thought that he, he says, he says something to the effect of, I don't know, so I guess I don't know if it's clear that I think she knows they had sex. Doesn't he say, like, Mel is back and I didn't think she'd be back so soon? Yeah, he says that to Abby and and private. But I think she she says something like, he says something to the effect of she knows about last night and and Abby specifically says, I don't care, and, like, storms out. No, that's when he says, um, when she's about to leave the aquarium and he's basically, like, uh, so like can we talk about last night and abby's like i don't care about last night and he's like well i do and then she asks him which key do i need to use in order to 
unlock the aquarium door and he guides her on which key it's supposed to be because she's setting out with love to get the supplies for Yara and her surgery but uh it's never specified as to whether Mel knows I and I agree with Ty that um it is basically the resentment that she has for uh playing a part in Joel's death or murder precisely Mm -hmm. um and also just that general insecurity and that sort of knowledge at her core that Owen still cares more about Abby than about Mel because right before that um, he also does or I, it's either before or after that that he sort of argues with Mel or I think even yeah because he tries to go with and Abby and he tries yeah. to go with Abby and Lev and Abby's like shut the fuck up yeah get yeah Abby's like straight. you get your priorities straight yeah so they argue before and after Abby leaves because Mel knows that. Owen is so in love with Abby. Like, I'm sure she could tell. I mean, like, I feel for Mel. Like, that's a really shitty situation that she's in. That she yeah. kind of was, like, sucked into this relationship. But also, yeah. it felt really, like, mean girl to me, and I didn't like that. So, yeah. I think it's coming yeah. from a place of care for, like, the kids and also for, like, you know, her own well being and, like, knowing that she's the second choice. Do we want to spend some time to talk about Lev as well? Because Lev is, he's probably second to abby as like my favorite character of this game yeah yeah um, first. yeah no i i i loved lev's story like as a whole um i think at first i was kind of upset that we didn't see more of the seraphites like i would like to have seen more of that faction um but the more i think about it i think we saw what we need to see. We saw this like portrayal of like how how like fucked religion can be in like restricting like you as a person and the way that you feel. And like I'm sure I know there's a lot of discourse and like I'm a a cis white woman, so I don't have much to say on that, but I do have something to say on like my sexuality and how my religion denounced me and I had a lot of family members who shut me out and it fucking sucks so I I thought it was a really I personally read that the entire love story about his transition and the way that his people and family shunned him and especially like the the dead naming and stuff was just so fucked. I think they told a really good story and I'm sure there's going to be discourse of other opinions, which I think are valid. I don't know. I really thought that they told a good story. I don't know about y'all and if y'all want to talk more on what you thought about that. Uh, Yeah. So um, I had like a fairly positive reaction to Lev and I think... One, I think, like, despite the problems with him and with how that story is delivered, which I'll get into in a second, um, I think that, like, because I went in with just, like, fucking basement-level expectations, um, it was a pleasant surprise that it wasn't just the worst. Um, And, like, so, like, I don't, like, I personally did not, like, have any negative reactions to him. I was surprised that it was handled as well as it was. I was surprised that he lived. But Waverly uh, recently put out an article on Paste um, kind of taking, like, the more, like, 
uh, negative critical approach to him. And um, some of the criticisms that really stood out to me um, that I did agree with and that I think make a lot of sense are um, she talked about how Lev doesn't get to tell his own story. Um, It's Yara Mm -hmm. who does it. And like, he doesn't get to like consent to her doing that. Um, And like, I liked on the one hand, I liked the perspective of Yara, like, getting to say like yeah at first I was fucking pissed at him and I didn't want him to like be who he was and like because like I think it's nice that they weren't just like yeah isn't Yara the best like I liked that they were like no she was also concerned and angry for both of their safety um and I like I thought that was like good but at the same time like I I think there was a way that they could have done both where like Lev could have talked about it and then Yara could have like you know added that insight because yeah it is fucked that Lev doesn't get to control his story and he doesn't get to decide if he wants Abby to know especially because like when he does bring up the dead naming stuff um and Abby is like do you want to talk about it um and he's like no and she's just like okay cool like um it's just unfortunate that, like, it's clear he's not quite ready to do that, and so it sucks that that decision is taken from him, um, which I did agree with that a lot. Um, and then, fuck, what was the other point that we really made? I can't remember. There was another thing that we really talked about with Lev that I agreed with. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's a super valid critique. Um, yeah, I think my my main thing with with Lev and I think honestly with his story in general is just like this game very heavily subscribes to the thesis that in an apocalypse everything would go to shit and like people would lean into the worst parts of themselves um which I don't think is true necessarily because you know as we've seen in our own pandemic for as many dipshit terrible people as there are there's also people donating to GoFundMes and fundraising and all kinds of shit um and protesting so like you know people care and people come together um especially in crisis but i think that that's an interesting point because that's the point that maddie maddie myers makes in her review at polygon just uh i believe she ends the review basically saying like we are better than naughty dog thinks we are which I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum of for someone who's trying to uh, who's the most positive on this game in the room I would say I lean most negatively in this regard <laughs> yeah and I mean like I and like I'm not like I I don't personally subscribe to that view of the apocalypse but like clearly the game does so like mm-hmm. okay operating from that lens um it's clear that this game more than anything and i think that like again i'm spoiling shit i'm gonna write about but like more than even like neil uh dreckman and Haley gross realize like this game is about how people like in the like this game is so so cynical of humanity and it it is saying like if the world ended we would continue to reproduce the same fucked up shit because you have people left over from the before who would poison the new world. And I don't mean that in a colonial sense. I just mean in, like, you know, the future. Um, and, like, 
that fucking sucks. Um, but that's like the point of view of this game. And so Lev being dead named makes sense and Lev having his agency taken by his sister makes sense because like I absolutely believe that two writers who have this like very cynical take would not blink at perpetuating structural violence in their writing. You know what I mean? Like without thinking about it just because like they clearly like are kind of desensitized to it and think that it's inevitable or at least are proposing that in this. I I think they kind of forget that like screen time sort of is it a huge factor of like telling us what we're supposed to be getting from this? Because I think what makes it cynical is we spend so much time killing each other and we we see so much of like the militant feet of all of these different factions. But in reality, they, they all live somewhere. They all produce things. We're all trying to, you know, build society in some particular way. And we don't spend a whole lot of time seeing any of that. Like, we don't spend a whole lot of time in Jackson kind of just meeting people. There's like, there's a, you, you throw snowballs in the beginning and you're friends with a bunch of people from Jackson, but like you don't spend a whole lot of time in Jackson uh, just like seeing how it operates. Um, you don't, you spend, you know, even less time in that stadium for the WLF. We, we assume the WLF is more than just, you know, a heavily armed militia. They have to get these resources from somewhere. And they create a stable life for the people who then kind of get roped into that sort of whole militia thing. And people get attracted to this for a reason. And we never really see that reason. We hear in like a lot of the documents you'll pick up um, and maybe even like overhearing two Seraphites talking about it. We we have an, an idea of how they live and why they live this way. You know, all this like returning to nature sort of like letting sort of the earth recover all that kind of stuff shunning mechanical technological progress because that's what got us to a terrible point to begin with we only ever see the people who are lynching folks and like and disemboweling everyone uh so it's it's not only just a cynical sort of depiction it's cynical by choice because all that other stuff is there i'm sure they have like you know plenty of lore bibles about like why these people how these people got there why they live this way, like what the average Seraphite lives like. I'm sure someone in, in some concept room has an idea, but we have no idea. And it's weird that we don't have, like the, the only idea we get that these people can live and have the same sort of understandings of, you know, right and wrong and morality. And like, it's the same motivation to survive and just live a, a decent life is through Lev and Yara. That's the only time we, we kind of understand that. And that. And that makes Lev super duper important, but it also lets down this the entire concept. Like, and and I feel like post apocalyptic fiction does this all the time, where you, where we sort of glamorize and push forward all of like the gnarly shit, and forget that it's all for something. And it's just super weird that a game that's clearly spent a lot of time developing the something doesn't spend nearly enough time showing us the something. Yes. I I also agree. First of all, if y'all want to play a post-apocalyptic game that's, like, very positive and, like, focused on community building and shit, you should play uh, Who We Are Now. Um, It's good. It's also gay. Dude gay. So, enjoy that. Um, Shout out to dude gay. 
Shout out to Dude Gaze. <laughs> um, but yeah, that game is good and cute. Um, and I talked to the developer about that, and he very much was talking about how, like, it sucks that all post-apocalyptic fiction is just like, yeah, everybody would fucking kill each other. It would be terrible. Um, but I don't know. I feel like we're kind of slowing down here. Is there any, is there any last points we want to touch on? So how many people like enjoyed playing The Last of Us? Like just the the pace and rhythm no. of like sneaking through shit no. and then shooting shit and then like doing it again. It was fucking atrocious. I hated it. I liked it. I also like really love stealthy games. Uh so like I I've seen a lot. I'm sure y'all have seen it too. There's a lot of gifs going around of people like sliding backwards and shooting yeah. their leg off and then stepping on and like all this stuff with the infected i'm like i didn't do any of that shit like i literally yeah crept around I no idea like <laughs> right? uh what's his name uh suny legend, legend. Yeah, yeah on i have no like he that the way games are played in these gifts are like yeah. never the way i play these games i have yeah. no idea how that is happening in the last of us too when i yeah, watched um, it I'm like I, 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 i've been in that position i could do none of this yeah uh i enjoyed it i enjoyed playing what about you now i enjoy i thought it was like, fine yeah i think it's fine right i think part of i think what i wish there was less of is just like the walking around to get to the encounters because there's lots of just like you just explore this area for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and i i found it less as an incentive to like learn all the environmental storytelling and more like a I need to make sure I've gotten everything out of all of these rooms so I can make sure everything I can I've crafted everything I can before I go you know jump over this bus and then get trapped Mm -hmm. here with a bunch of people Um, there was a lot of that and I feel like yes it was I think it's more for like the hardcore players who are playing on hardcore mode who you know supplies are limited and stuff and they have to use those 10 minutes to really search around to get what they need to get but also like when it comes to like the artifacts and stuff i think i tweeted about this but there was parts of the game where i was like actually reading every single piece of paper that i found i know some people just kind of look over that but like there were so many times when i was reading and investing in these stories as i was going through of these people leaving each other notes where i was like this person's probably dead and i'm gonna walk into their house and they're gonna try and kill me and they're gonna scare me and that happened multiple times uh and it was like the papers were trying to like tell me a story, but also prepare me for those moments. Even though I was prepared, I'd still like scream. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was fine. the The one part that I really didn't like though was the whole implementation of the individual NPC names, because I felt that the environmental storytelling, as you mentioned, did so much more to humanize the NPCs, whether they were on the Seraphite side or on the WLF side or on neither, um, than, like, some dude being like, oh no, it's Cody! They got Cody! And I'm like, yeah, Cody's <laughs> fucking dead. I got Cody, bitch. Like, yeah, please me. give also, me the credit. Also, I got something like, for you too, Steve. Thing- also, like, I had a glitch um, in mine at the end of the game where um, the rattlers or whatever, um, they would just keep saying, they got Todd. It was always Todd. <laughs> I killed seven Todds. <laughs> and I feel like nothing shows oh. how, like, shallow that storytelling decision to, like, try to provoke empathy was than the fact that I had a glitch that was just, like, 
all Todd. of these fucking people being like, Todd! <laughs> I think that's one of the the few aspects of the game that not universally disliked or praised, but I think a lot of people agree that it just wasn't effective and it, it does make me consider the labor that was put into making every individual NPC have like a specific name and I can't imagine how much work that was and how yeah. ultimately redundant it is. Yeah. Um, it also just like I it it's less that I I liked exploring the buildings. I just didn't like that like especially it felt a lot worse to me in Ellie's story. Like so much of it felt like, alright, walk to a place stalk all these men and kill them all right walk to another place Ooh, look your path is blocked you have to find another way in all right now it's filled with clickers okay now there's more fucking people and it was like come on like i could do like and it was every single fucking thing was like that and i was like jesus Christ. <laughs> and it really takes away from when some of those encounters are like really cool. Yeah, because yeah. like the Rat King fight fucking was dope. Rat, yeah, when they were like, yo, it you was too hard. Evil? But and it I was, was like, dog, chill. What's in this hole? I don't want to go in there. No. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hated that part. Like, I Kayla was so mad. I even switched <laughs> over to easy and I still was like screaming until finally I'm like, Ty, how the fuck do I do this? And they're like, I looked up a YouTube video. This is what you do. And I was like, thank you. And it worked. But I was like, I haven't used bombs this entire game. And then now you're going to make me do it, but also not like give me a hint on how to do it. And I'm just like, oh, that was horrible. Horrible. I just Denied died a it. lot and shot the Rat King on the easiest difficulty, though. So that's. I just ran in circles for like 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I just ran and like around. It was like the body's sweating. like falling off. And I'm like, oh, I Molotov like cocktailed him into the fucking ground. Yeah. <laughs> I just used every single gun. When one ran out of bullets, I was like, oh my, <laughs> oh my God, it's just a little pistol. No one else still do it. I'll still use it anyway. That was one of my favorite sections of the game just because I think The Last of Us Part 2 leans into its horror more effectively mm-hmm. than the first one. Definitely and does. that was just full resonant evil like full horror that i i think this series needed that it strides for but it didn't quite land as well as it did there and so that section was so cool for me because i was legitimately scared well and i think that section like all of us just said that we all basically did it different ways and like yeah i wish there were more combat encounters that like asked you to play differently Because, like, that was another thing, too, is, like, every single encounter, I was like, okay, cool. There's the people. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stalk over here. I'm going to grab this one. All right. Now I'm going to grab this one. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to shoot this one in the face with the bow. Okay, there's one left. I'm going to grab them and fucking stab them or whatever. Like, it just, it was so monotonous to me. And, like, I know I could have fucked around, but, like, why? Like, why waste my resources fucking around? And there's only so much, like, fucking around you can actually do in some in- encounters. Like, some of my favorite encounters, ironically, which also, like, led to some of the biggest problems I had just playing the game, was when there's multiple factions on the board, and you're kind of, like, trying to work around them. Um, it it works well, and, like, is super enjoyable when it's, like, people versus clickers versus you. Yeah, that's Because fun. then you can kind of, like, manipulate the, cl- the clickers into doing your job for you. Yeah. Um, and just kind of watching that 
like sort of engagement happen and then now the puzzle was getting away from that that's really cool but on the other hand like there's a part towards the end where you have to sneak past i guess um i think you're you're trying to get to haven and the wlf on the island and they're, they're fighting mm-hmm. seraphites actively you have to pass there's like a, a large like a long battlefield and in the middle of it's like a gas station or something and you have to basically sneak through like an around into the gas station and, and out over a barrier to get to where you're going but seraphites mm-hmm. and wlf are, are shooting at each other um while you're doing this all but like if you're playing too carefully and just like trying to tiptoe around and kill like basically no one the game only does so much actual action based on i guess like how many people were alive so i there was a time where i spent like no no lie maybe five solid minutes just staring at three seraphites hiding behind cars, <laughs> shooting at WLF inside a gas station, and just missing. And they're shooting back and missing. And I'm sitting behind a bush kind of waiting for someone to, like, maybe take a flank or something. <laughs> nope, they're just shooting at each other aimlessly. And, like, it's not going to do anything until I step up and kill one of them. And it's like, if I really wanted to be super stealth here, like, this is the the most optimal way, but it's making me do this to, to move the story along. Like, either I have to kill one of you stealthily or just run out in the middle of the field and just get shot at. Like, and it's weird when you're, when you can find the edges of, like, the way the, the AI is, is sort of pretending a fight's happening. Uh, that happens more than once, and it's super weird. Um, I found that if you're just kind of, like, if you're trying not to make this a Metal Gear Solid game and like be too stealthy, if you're just going to be stealth until you don't have to anymore, that's like the best way to play this game. And when you're in there fighting and shooting and stuff, cool. I just wish, oddly enough, that there was kind of less of both the exploration and the shooting. I just wish everything was like a well-tailored encounter. And I feel like not everything is. Some, some, A lot of that game feels like it's here because it's the stuff you like to do, I guess, right? And I just wish it, it felt more hand uh, maybe not handcrafted, but more intelligent. Like that is going to reward me for playing every single way I want to. Uh, whereas the Rat King fight has absolutely like tons of ways to do it, and like some of the like traveling through buildings to get around like the infected that you know, like, like the hotel that's like collapsing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool encounter too because there's lots of ways to go down to the bottom of that to the hotel. Um, but and just things running out of walls and shit. But on the other hand, like some of the just straight up dudes fighting stuff is like kind of weird and I wish felt better. Yeah, I wish because like I definitely, you know, the subway encounter where there's the WLF and then the um the clickers yeah. are in there too. Um, Andrew and I were talking about it and we were talking about how like it was cool that we were able to weaponize the clickers, but it was also like not always as effective as I wanted it to be. Like, so, right, like, so the clickers respond to sound, right? So in that encounter, I said a bunch of the, like, proximity mines or whatever. Um, and some WLF people walked by them, and the clickers went absolutely fucking apeshit. But they were kind of just, like, going apeshit in circles, and I think they only got, like, one WLF person um, before they started trying to kill me. So I ended up, like, by the time I finally beat it, I did end up stealthily killing all the clickers first and then bombing the shit out of them. Um, just because I didn't want to deal with the clickers anymore, which is a bummer because I feel like that would have been, like, fun, you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
if it like worked as planned or even like remotely as planned it would have been cool but like yeah like in a fucked up way but i mean it's it's a fucked up game and i think some of the stealth like some of the little like stealth sort of sections that you know you can make it through without being detected but like now you have to lift up this water cooler or pry open this door it's gonna take a little bit it's gonna make a lot of noise so everyone's gonna know you're here uh seemed like a weird way to i don't know it it didn't feel like a reward like the the final test for uh successfully stealthing through an area should be like you get out unscathed not like you have to pass the final exam which is open mesh square fast enough so a a clicker doesn't rip your face off well see that's why i've always been confused when people are like oh this is such a stealth game because i'm like is it because i feel like i pretty much have to like fight to get through it like it's not like in dishonored where i can like you know creep around and technically like not touch anybody you know yeah you can be quiet but you have to kill everybody like and i feel like that's not that's like half of a stealth game yeah it was a it's a it's a video game (laughs) some would say i thought it was such so uh it's weird to talk about like games being like a movie experience because they are that's how games are but like especially as of lately that's how it feels but like i i thought the last of us 2 was such a good story like it was a good story it was Mm -hmm. a sad story um it wasn't necessarily a happy ending i thought it was really beautiful and i'm glad that naughty dog actually used a lot of the themes that they did because i wouldn't have expected them to do (laughs) these things like we all thought that before the leaks happened we were all like yep they're going with the barrier gaze trope like that's how it's gonna happen and it wasn't that which is really great um being a queer lady and seeing another queer lady uh be a main character is is really something i really i really loved it yeah, I agree with Kayla. Um, this is... It might change, uh, but I don't expect it to. The fact that it's, like, my favorite game, along with Nier Automata and The Witcher 3 and The House in Fauna Morgana. I have several favorite games, but, like, <laughs> it is... Right now, it is, like, number one. Um, I just... Like, I wake up and I think about The Last of Us 2 cry over my wife Ali and Dina who is also my wife and then I go to sleep and then I rinse and repeat the entire How process. How wreckery of you. <laughs> it's a beautiful polyamorous relationship. <laughs> um, but yeah I just uh, like Kayla um, I, I wrote about how much uh, the sapphic romance and the sapphic representation means for me uh, over at Paste as my last article as a contributor there. Um, and it was a shorter piece. I tend to write longer pieces. Um, but I wanted to start somewhere with conveying just how important it is to me. Um, it really is. It, it, we can discuss, you know, like, and by we, I mean the community at large. Like, we can discuss, you know, um, all the groundwork that the queer indie space does and uh how that plays into the risks that triple a games and blockbuster giants like this um are able to take because that work starts 
pretty much in the queer indie game space. But I really do think that we can celebrate and acknowledge all the work that the queer indie game space has done for uh, LGBTQ themes and representation in video games. And we can also acknowledge that for a lot of people, this is something really big, like just having a lesbian as a protagonist of a AAA game, uh, one of the most, whether we want it to happen or not, because I, I didn't plan on loving The Last of Us Part Two. Like I said, I did not like the first one. Um, but it's one of those games that will always be talked about, just like God of War and probably Cyberpunk in September and all those, you know, huge games that basically serve as cultural pillars. Um, but it is so affirming and it, it makes me feel so joyful that uh, one of the most culturally important and significant games is, uh, you know, it stars not just a lesbian, but it stars a lesbian in a relationship with a bisexual woman, and that bisexual woman's sexuality is explicitly addressed, and it's not erased in any way, and at the same time, you also play as another woman who is so atypical of the types of women that we see in video games, and, you know, she is a super complex figure, and this is a game led by women, and they are white women, um, but, uh, I I see so much complexity and nuance in their writing and I just I really love the story. I love so many characters. Um I think the marketing did such a disservice to this game from yeah. the very first trailer to the fact that Neil Druckmann had to clarify in a kind of funny podcast um interview that he had with Greg Miller and Ashley Johnson who voices Ellie and Troy Baker who voices Joel that he lied when he said that the game was about hate that it's actually about love um I don't see what framing the game as hate to begin with did for the marketing of the game I think that the marketing of the game in just about every way did a disservice to it and it and gets the benefit of it because Troy Baker yeah. is being a head ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and as is Neil Druckmann, actually. Yeah, and I think that it continues to do it a bit of a disservice, and it's lucky that it is one of the most anticipated games ever, and so people are playing it anyway and able to see. Oh, okay, so the marketing was being deceptive. This game is much more than hate then revenge it's not bury your gaze it's not this and that um but ultimately if it was any other game you know it wouldn't receive that benefit of the doubt and so i do wonder how the marketing is looking back on the decisions the marketing team is looking back at the decisions they made and evaluating how differently they sold this game because it, before i started playing it and after I finished it, like, the, they were two absolutely different games in my mind. Like, I could not believe... I was constantly surprised by how much consideration and care this game had going into it when everything that I had seen of it before, from the gratuitous violence in one of the first trailers to the bury your gaze implications and the bait and switch that they did with Dina and Joel, uh, it just painted the game in such a negative light, and I... I I can't see it in anything less than a really positive light. I have my criticisms that I will be writing about soon enough, but ultimately, um, it is so important to me, and I genuinely love the story, and I love the characters, and it made The Last of Us a series that I look forward to 
now and that I'm so excited about and that's putting it lightly instead of one that I'm super ambivalent about so um that it managed to do that is pretty amazing because I think I don't know what's worse if you don't care about a piece of art or if you explicitly hate it some people would argue that not caring about one at all and not feeling anything is worse than feeling hatred for it because it's a total lack of feeling um I think that depends on every individual person but I did not care for the first game and that now I care about this series so deeply thanks to this game is it's very significant and it doesn't happen ever usually with me so yeah um I feel like it has ideas that I find fascinating and characters I enjoyed but overall I think the pacing is fucking terrible and does a really huge disservice to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it subscribes way too hard to that cynical viewpoint, um, which, while it does, I think, lead to really cool characterization with Abby, I think fucks pretty much every other part of it. Um, and that's not even me dissing Ellie. I like Ellie's storyline, actually. I would not change anything about it um, other than the fucking length. Um, but, uh, the game really made me hate her a little bit. Just by day three, I was like, this fucking bitch. Um, I don't know what it says to me that as time went on, I was like, oh, my wife, (laughs) my eventual lesbian wife. Yeah. No, that's because you're gay. (laughs) Wait, you're gay too. But not for Ellie. <laughs> oh, true. Like that. that is a distinction there, yes. Yeah, Ellie's not my type. Dina's my type, which is why I was like, you dumb bitch. Dina is also my type. <laughs> Both of them are my type. They're just... Oh, they're Every character beautiful. in this game is my type. <laughs> Basically, Jesse is so cute. Like, yes. Ah, uh, baby boy. Ugh. I guess Tommy isn't really no. my type, no. Um... Yeah. But, and, like, I've been thinking a lot about it, because there's been a lot of fucking discourse, you know, about, like, whether we should be giving these games the time of day or not. And, like, honestly, I don't know, to me, it comes down to, like, as much as I would love for, like, everything to be equitable and ethical and good, like, it comes down to the fact that, like, for a lot of people... Triple A is always going to be the most accessible thing because it's yes. right in front of their fucking faces and it's easy and it's what's marketed to them. And so while I am less inclined to have representation discussions than I probably ever have been in my life, I also like don't think that fighting for that to improve in more mainstream products is a bad thing. Because at least in my experience with Uppercut personally, like, like, even with, like, with, like, I'm going to pick on Andrew, right? Like, Andrew calls himself a triple-A bitch, but, like, we've talked now (laughs) about, like, how all of his favorite games are, like, indie games this year. And, like, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like an incrementalist or whatever, but more of just, like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a two-pronged approach, I guess. Because it's such a multi-layered struggle and fight, right? Like it, for like Kenneth said over at Fanby, like queer spaces are not a monolith, and so that fight takes up different forms. Like we can fight for one injustice, 
to yeah. be resolved and we can fight for it in a matter of ways well, and, and I, I think and I also mm-hmm. just think about right like not I didn't find itch until I was in my 20s you know what I yeah, mean yeah. like like it's, <sighs> And I don't mean like you it's said. Just, it's what's most accessible it, to a lot of people. Like I grew up playing thing. AAA games, and like I yeah. want, I wish that ugh, this is corny, but like I do wish that sixteen-year-old Caitlin had had a like queer rep like this, like not. Yeah. And I do, like I said it in my uh, review. I think this is the absolute bare fucking minimum that. Mm-hmm. Uh, AAA should be doing. Like, I do not think that we should be patting them on the back or writing entire articles about what a monumental occasion this is because, again, this is the absolute bare minimum. Um, but, like, I do wish that I had had that, especially because, like, I came I came into gaming after, like, a long break when I was, like, 18. So, like, I was playing, like, fucking Heavy Rain and Bioshock and all that shit and, like, catching up. I'm so sorry. And so, like, so like imagine if i had gotten to see that then you know like who knows how like how much like fucking more aware of my shit i might be now you know so like i don't know i just like i think that there's room to talk about the big triple a and how it could do better and also like to elevate queer spaces and queer art and like our peers and all of that and like i don't know I think we try to do that with uppercut. And anyway, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox, but that is my <laughs> fucking thought on that. Absolutely. Like, I mean, you, we could fight for more inclusivity in the workspace and more inclusivity on screen. Like, those are not fights that are necessarily in conflict with each other. So I I don't think it's effective or productive to sort of undermine what people can find in this and also how this could allow them to open new doors and you know learn about indie games and learn about other issues in the gaming space and this can sort of serve as an accessible door that they can walk through well and i mean and honestly too like i've seen a lot of people being like oh it's so frustrating that these games take up all the oxygen and like they do and that does suck but like that's digital media we operate based on ad revenue and venture capital and clicks um and so like if this game's conversation is going to be like or if this game is going to dominate the conversation i would much rather have people like me and nat and ken and waverly like all of us in conversation like having these like things you know like having these conversations and like being Mm -hmm. part of it and like having our voices there than like letting that slip by because like you know at least it's there and again i don't want to be like an incrementalist i'm not saying like oh we'll eventually like fucking incept them but like (laughs) i don't think it hurts you know i think it's one more tool in the toolbox and maybe it's not as effective as others but i don't think it like hurts to do i think it's a super important thing to want to happen though like marginalized people have always lived in half measure when it comes to basically everything here in America, but uh, especially when it comes to any way that those people are now interpreted in mm-hmm. media or on the news or whatever, or even, you know, anything in, in any opportunity to interpret us. Like, there's no, like, we we never want to get ourselves pigeonholed. We don't want just as much as nobody wants we want to shake loose and 
and actively stop the completely un- I, I would imagine at this point unconscious or maybe not at this point before this point unconscious sort of like burying and slaughtering of queer people like who always find themselves in these weird vengeance tales where only one of them are allowed to be alive at, at any two hour period apparently um in the same way that black men are no longer want to be mystical sort of mentors for broken white people mm-hmm. it's we it's important to want that to change but also important to recognize that there are still templates in which things are made that will always work like i don't love black panther the marvel movie but that was at the time the the highest grossing marvel movie of all time and it was led by like an 80 percent 90 percent black cast so it's that's a super important win as far as i think representation uh, even if it is a mediocre movie to do it in, but you know, if I had to choose some, the, like, what's what is what is a black movie I should watch instead? I'd say I don't know, Sorry to Bother You or something that came out the same year. But mm-hmm. it does, doesn't matter. Like, if you can if you can trick people to buy four million copies of a game led by uh, a queer woman who is traveling for revenge on her father figure with her, you know, queer. girlfriend wife who's pregnant and has like a very and and has this intensely nuanced and detailed sort of yes personable complex relationship with Mm -hmm. her own sexuality and then everybody around them who also has pretty complicated you know everything sexuality mentality like relationship a conflict or whatever then Mm -hmm. i think that's a win uh Mm -hmm. so like we can I, I put that in the, ch- in the in the win box because there's no way you'd be able to sell that game uh just by saying those things to someone. Uh yeah, we get I think you know, part of it's lucky. It's it's off the back of what a lot of people consider like Sony's best game last generation. So mm-hmm. but I mean Trojan horses are still that that worked the last time <laughs> like sometimes you gotta hide your 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 good shit in, you know, the monolith of the bad shit. Or like the monolith period, you know, AAA doesn't have to be bad. Um, it normally is, but and every time these win, every time you do get to have these stories and have people who would never be engaged in these conversations with these people and with these types of characters get to now experience them, it makes it uh, quote unquote easier to do it again. Now that that is the that is like out of the incrementalist playbook, but it's also a little bit true. So, as already mentioned, it's important to be vigilant and and not settle but it's also important to know that and and to not feel bad and and feel guilty for and and not consider this settling i don't consider you know the last of us two being a rousing commercial success and critical success settling as far as you know for the fight of queer representation is concerned that that's the biggest win as far as queer, queer representation in video games in my in my opinion it's you got the the highest selling game this year and the best rated game probably that will happen on this generation is a super queer centric story. (laughs) Like I think if there's anything to be worried about is it's probably like, there's no way it's going to happen in the scale again anytime soon. That sucks. Yeah. You, you said that beautifully. Thank you for all that. And I totally agree. Jared, I was actually curious if you had any, because I know that we all gave like our closing thoughts on The Last of Us 2. 
Um, so is there anything else that you wanted to say about the game? I just love all your thoughts on it. I think The Last of Us 2 is definitely... I, I treated it as definitely sort of like a, a mile marker for me in video games. Because I think I started really being a critic around the same time our last of us came out. So 2012, 2013 is when I started writing. I think 2013 is the first time I got paid to. So this has been something of a, of a bar that I, I'm glad I, I can sort of weigh the way I look at how AAA games are made, the kind of tropes they fall into, the kind of storytelling that happens in them uh, for the past eight years. And as I find that I walk away from The Last of Us 2, like not really wanting to play it again, kind of in- enjoying and really uh, ultimately liking my time with it, really once I gave myself the opportunity and stopped kind of being a baby about the things that I didn't like that I knew were just me being s- salty about it, I really did come to understand it and really did appreciate and, and relate in a lot of ways um, to it. And I think that's the most important thing to get out of these. Like, I I, there I don't relate to video games very often. Like, my favorite game this year is still Doom Eternal. I don't relate to Doom Eternal. (laughs) I have nothing in common with Doom Eternal. Um, And I think lots of games that attempt to you know play play the movie role, I I think fail for me anyway. when it comes to that kind that that sort of attempt to like be personable and, and 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 tell a story that I can really get into. Um I think the last one that did for me was The Witcher, but I think that's a cheating a little bit because I've also read the books before that. So I was yeah. already I was already sold sipping the dumb bitch juice for Geralt of Rivia. Um <laughs> but I think and I'm glad and it, it probably it's super this is a super important game that I, I might like dunking about on on Twitter and and doom scrolling through all the discourse about, but I, I think it's completely impossible for me to to deny just really how valuable this game is and how valuable it will be, I think, going forward. In the same ways, maybe in more complicated and maybe ultimately more valuable ways than the first one. I'm excited to talk about this game, you know, three years from now. Yeah. Same. I wonder if we'll see any any progress i don't i don't expect it like you said i think this, there's going to be a long while before we see anything like this whether that's good enough for you individually or not is something totally subjective and totally in every person's valid perspective but whether we see it as sort of the bare minimum that AAA can do or we see it as something pretty significant i think it'll be a while before we see something like this and that that sucks that kind of breaks my heart but i hope the last of us three or uh if it gets a single standalone expansion like uncharted's the lost legacy i hope it it follows through with the care that has been put into this game or really i hope this allows other triple a studios who are like in the planning stages of their next one absolutely Um, i hope this encourages them to, if only. <laughs> to not take you know certain faces or ty- or characters or our our concepts off the board just because of marketability. Absolutely. Damn, we did it. <laughs> we did it, guys. We, we we figured it out. We did the uh, damn thing. We did the damn thing. 
Um, all right. Well, sweet. Uh, Nat, where can people find you if they want to continue seeing you gush about Ellie? <laughs> and Dina and uh, this game in general. Uh, you can follow me at Hardimicia at Twitter. That's heart I-M-E-C-I-A. And I am also frequently writing on fanbite.com, among and, other places. Yeah. And Jarrett? Uh, you can find me at Jarrett John on Twitter. Um, it's mostly just wrestling tweets, I'll be honest with you. It's true. Uh, yeah, I don't understand half, like, the majority of Jared's Twitter, but it's fine. I've, uh, kind of, I've been a bit of a hiatus from Irrational Passions, because I was going to lie to myself and say I was going to take a break, and then instead of taking a break, I just got a bunch of offers to work other places. So the last <laughs> thing I wrote was actually at IGN, and maybe that'll happen again soon. Otherwise, just follow the wrestling tweets. Eat. Kayla, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at OAKayla, and um, sometimes streaming on Uppercut Crit, Twitch, and doing the Uppercut stuff. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) The good shit. You know, the Uppercut stuff. (laughs) Um, Cool. And you can find uh, me on Twitter at ty underscore g and eight r's but yeah this has been a product of uppercut which you can find uh on twitter at uppercut crit and uh on instagram at uppercut underscore crit and uh over on our website uppercutcrit.com and if you're feeling extra frisky you can head over to our patreon and donate any amount that you so choose uh if you donate at the seven dollar or above level you will have your name read like these fine people uh we have uh dale i love that it's just dale so good (laughs) uh chris Egerton, jesse vitelli eric sapp jb gwaltney gamecrash.co.uk adept 7777 tyler mccall optional objectives michael diaz suarez kenneth shepherd lucas lyon eric Jin. Eli Berg Moss, Adrian Arock Williams, Matthew Flowers, Andrew Sherman, Colton Crow, Sean Martin, Jesse Peterson, Numer Osman Alamine, Jared Shu, GJ Kento, Cam Koenig, Quentin Hoffman, Abnormal Mapping, and Mikey Phillips. Thank y'all. Very, very Thank much. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye.